what kind of surveillance can I do with this tape recorder? And so I'm sitting there trying to contemplate, you know, what, what's a good idea? What's a bad idea? You know, when, when is somebody in their most um, kind of personal time? And it's like, I, I want to get a snapshot of this, you know. And uh, don't worry, guys, it has nothing to do with our series. Um, but I thought, you know, the most personal time for somebody is where? No, it's in the bathroom. It's in the bathroom. And so I, I took this tape recorder. And I set it up uh, in behind the toilet, and I, I pushed record. I, I was just little. Give me a break. A crazy idea, right? I, I told you at the beginning, crazy idea. Um, and uh, <clears throat> if you guys think about it, pray for my son. I'm trying to teach my son these kind of things because we had a small group uh, earlier this week. And if you guys haven't got in a small group yet, please, please uh, get involved. It's, it's a great thing to get together and just discuss some of the things we've been discussing here. But uh, my son... And I gotta give him a little break because he's got an older sister. But at a small group before we started, he put on a dress and he's twirling in the middle of the room. So, so I, I need to teach him some of these, these CIA man gun things, right? Uh, in fact, just the other day, I, I, we got him a little train. It's like, okay, done with the dolls, dude. Here, end with the train. But, uh, he, he's only two. So it's not like he's 15 doing these, but, uh, we're, we're trying to break the habit early. But anyways, I put this tape recorder in behind the toilet. And, and I just kind of wait, right? And uh, waiting for a little while. And then we had company over. My parents had company over, and it was my aunt. And uh, she she went in, and she did her business. And she left, and I'm like, all right, I got the gold, you know. So I go in and, and check the evidence. And uh, I had evidence, you know. Right, and my aunt was just little too, but man, she could she could pack a punch. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I, I I bring it down then, right? I'm like, I got the evidence. I bring it down and, and I say, hey everybody, I want to show you something. And and so again, I was just little guys, you know, I didn't know any better. And so I thought everybody'd laugh and have a good chuckle. Um, I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, Needless to say, my aunt was not very pleased and my mom was not very pleased. But uh, I I thought it was good use of a, a new tape player, you know, just kind of break it in a little bit. But uh, I got another crazy idea for you guys. You know, that was a crazy idea. I'm sure you guys have some crazy ideas too, right? Right? Stupid stuff. Another crazy idea for you. You guys are selfish. Crazy idea, right? You guys are selfish. Take, take a look at this video. Watch what I mean. Uh, the last uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a, a book in Scripture called Song of Solomon. And, and I don't know if you remember last week, we uh, we talked about the, the wedding day, you know, and, and what follows the wedding day is the the wedding night. Yes, the wedding night. And Song of, I mean, God's very explicit. Uh, so we looked at the wedding night itself and, uh, at the, uh, at the end of the wedding night, then we said, okay, this is where in Hollywood the credits would roll, right? Well, in real life, the credits don't roll there, do they? You know, in real life, we, we, we see these kind of things in marriage. And I don't want to say that, I guess maybe I do want to say, I think all of us are prone to this, uh, where, where we're maybe in marriage or maybe one day we'll be in marriage and we're 
we're looking and we're saying, you know, what, what, what is between our spouse? You know, this maybe is a little different than what I had expected when, when we got married on that, that, that special day, right? And we, uh, we've been talking all through this series just about, you know, leading up to the wedding and the, uh, uh we, we looked at a date that, uh, Solomon took his, his, uh, soon to be bride on. We talked about, um, you know, last week we, we talked about petting zoos, right? Right, guys? If you don't know what I mean, go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, it'll be your new life verse, I promise. Um, but uh, this week we're, we're looking at a, a section of Scripture that it's a little more difficult. And I, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Solomon, uh, I'm sorry, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. And I want you to turn to uh, chapter 5. If you need a Bible, put your hand up, and we would love to give you one. Uh, you can put your name in this, and this can be yours. Uh, but I'd love for you guys to follow along as we go through this. Uh, Song of Solomon is going to be near uh, near Psalms, so if you kind of open your Bible in the middle, you'll find uh, you'll find Song of Solomon in there. I'll give you guys a second to get there. We're going to look in uh, chapter five, verse two. I'll give you a second to get there. So if you find Psalms, and then it's just a couple books later, you'll see uh, Proverbs in there, and Ecclesiastes, and then you'll see Song of Solomon. Uh, which uh, Ecclesiastes is actually an interesting book. It's uh, one that Solomon wrote at the end of his life. Uh, some regrets that he had within the choices he made in his lifetime. And then Proverbs he also wrote as well to uh, because he was known as the, the wisest man to ever live. God gave him a, a gift of wisdom. And uh, so he wrote the book of Proverbs. But being that Solomon was one of the wisest men to live, he also made quite a bit of mistakes, as we found out. And uh, I want to take a look here then at the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. And we'll just start off here. It says, <clears throat> again, let me, let me remind you, it says, Beloved, so that means that she is speaking, okay? Uh, Solomon's wife is speaking. She says, I slept, but, but my heart was awake. So basically, she's, it's middle of the night. She's having a hard time sleeping, okay? Have you guys had that? You know, you have a hard time sleeping. That's kind of where she is. And she says, listen, my lover is knocking. Solomon's knocking on the door, okay? It said, he says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. And then he says, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. So basically, what's going on here is Solomon, think of this, he was, he was a king, right? He was king of Israel. He, he had what you would call a lifestyle job. You know, he doesn't work a regular nine to five job, come home, have, have supper with, with the wife and the kiddos and, uh, you know, hang out and watch a movie that night, right? He has a lifestyle job. And so his schedule, I'm sure, is all across the board, right? Some of you guys might have lifestyle jobs where you don't, you don't work a typical nine to five. You don't know what you're going to be working a month from now. You know, you may know a week, you may not know a week from now. And uh, for instance, my my job, I I, uh, <clears throat> I work an engineering job, which is a pretty nine to five job. But as a pastor of a church, that's more of a lifestyle job to where I've gotten calls in the middle of the night 
for, uh, in fact, I remember when I was, when I was on staff at a church, I got a call in the middle of the night because a lady was dying in the middle of the night. And so they, the family wanted me to come out and spend some time with them. It was like two o'clock in the middle of the night. You don't plan for those kind of things, right? And so that, I'm sure that that's kind of where Solomon is at as well. He's got a lifestyle job, king of Israel. He gets home. It's late. You know, it must be late if it says his head is drenched with the dew from that night, right? So he must have been out working hard. Something, something must have called him out. And he gets home and he knocks and he says, you know, let, let me in, right? I've had a rough night. I know you're awake. You know, let's, let, let's sit and talk a little bit. Let's, uh, see where it goes from there. But, uh, <clears throat> and then she says to him, she says, now, now before I say this, let me, let me say this. Somebody told me last week was a little bit rough for the guys. Okay. A little bit rough for the guys. This week may be a little rough for the ladies. Okay. We're, we're, when you, when you talk about things within relationship, there's some things that men can handle well, there's some things that women handle well, and there's some things that are hard, hard on, on one of both sides, right? Does that make sense? So this week may be a little hard for the ladies. With that said, there's gonna be some things that we look at as well that are gonna be tough for the guys, but let, let, listen her in here. She says in verse three, she says, I have taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I have washed my feet, must I soil them again? Basically, she is saying, he's saying, let me in. I know you're awake. I've had a rough night. Let's, let, let's, uh, let's, let's make love. Okay. She is saying to him, she says, this is, this is a bad excuse. She says, well, see, I'm already naked in bed. Right. That, that, that's bad. That's bad. And, and then she says, my feet, or she says, I've already bathed and I don't want to get my feet dirty walking to the door. Now, granted, during those times, <clears throat> not everybody had hardwood floors, right? You know, not everybody had flooring, so sometimes they had dirt flooring. She lives in a palace, you know. He is king of Israel. I'm thinking to myself, they got a floor. Does that make sense? I'm saying they got a floor. She's saying, uh, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm clean, and uh, I, I just don't want none of it, Solomon, right? Bad excuse. Now this, in verse 4 and 5, they speculate that she fell asleep here. All right, because again, it says that she was having a hard time sleeping. She's in and out, in and out. So they speculate she fell asleep here in verse 4 and 5, and it says, My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my lover, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. Again, they, they, they speculate she fell asleep. She dreamt this and then she wakes up and she goes to the door and then she, she opens for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. So does that make sense? Solomon's like, you know, can, can we, uh, just, you know, spend some time together tonight? I, I've had a rough day. I, I know that you're, you're having a rough night. And she says, no, you know, I, uh, for whatever reason, I, I just don't want to, right? And then so she she kind of lays there. He's kind of standing out the door. She falls back asleep. And then she dreams this, that, that her lover's trying to get in the door. So she wakes up. She goes to the door to find that he's gone now. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? She goes to the door, find that he's gone. And it says, uh, my heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. So basically, I would say that he responded in, in a godly way. And again, I'm not trying to pick on one side or the other. I would say he responded in a godly way and he said, all right, you know, that, that's okay. 
and so he just left. Maybe he went back to to, to the, the palace office. I, I don't know. Um, maybe he went for a walk. He, he just he said, okay, he just left. And then it's speculated again here in verse 7 that she fell asleep again. So she goes back to bed. She lays down. She falls asleep, and she has this dream. It says, the watchman found me as they made their rounds in the city. So she's dreaming that she's out looking for him. It says the watchman found her as, as they were out making the rounds in the city. They beat her. They bruised her. They took away her cloak, those watchmen of the walls. Okay. The reason that, that most people think that's a dream, and I would tend to agree, is if you see the, the, the queen walking the streets, I'm not thinking they're going to beat her, right? If they beat her. I'm guessing Solomon's going to have, uh, you know, they're done, right? Just kind of the way they did things. So, uh, so she dreams this and then she wakes again in verse eight and she says, Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? And she says, tell him that I am faint with love. Tell him I'm sorry and I miss him. You know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry and I miss him. Okay. Her friends come in. And again, we mentioned how we believe these are her friends because of prior things that we've looked at. And I would say that she has good friends. One of the things, ladies, that I think we do sometimes is sometimes we make some poor choices of friends. And the reason I say that is I've been around very little when this happens, but my wife will tell me a lot of times when, when this happens with, with girls that she knows. And it, it's like a man bashing session. You know, it's like, yeah, my husband really sucks. You know, he came home the other night and and I just had a long day and he wanted to have sex and I told him, blow it out his ears, you know. Or, you know, my, my husband came home the other night and uh, he thought he was tired from work. Come on, man, you know. So I, I, I hear these things. Am I right, ladies? Am I right or am I just picking? I'm not trying to pick. I'm trying to be honest. That, that's right, isn't it? And so I would say that she's got some pretty good friends because look at what they say to her. Look at what they say because they could say, oh, I can't believe that Solomon did that. You know, am I right, ladies? Right. But look what they say to her. They say, how is your beloved better than others? They say, I, I want you to think, queen of Israel, how is Solomon better than others? most beautiful women. How is your beloved better than others that you charge us so? You say, hey, help me look for my husband. How is your husband better than others? And then so it gets her thinking and she says this. She says, my lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is pure as gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted with like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with chrysolite. He goes to the gym, right? <laughs> his body is like polished ivory decorated with sapphires. It says his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. So he doesn't just go to the gym and just do the lazy stuff. He does the, the squats too, right? Right? You see those guys go to the gym, it's like everything's upper body, nothing lower body, you know? 
He does the whole thing. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. She says, this is my lover, but he's also my friend. He's not just my husband, my lover, but he's also my friend. And she says, O daughters of Jerusalem. They respond in verse 6, or I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 1. Where has your lover gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your lover turn that we may look for him with you? Did you kind of see what her friends did there? I'm sure she was a little upset. And her friends challenged her and said, Tell me, what makes your husband great? And as she sits and she thinks of this, she can't think of anything bad. I'm sure there is, right? We all have our faults. But she's challenged and she thinks, you know, he's an amazing man. He provides for me. He protects me. He leads me. He loves me. He cherishes me. I'm a priority to him. I'm guessing, I don't know this for sure, I'm guessing, you know, again, Solomon has a lifestyle job. I know that gets hard sometimes. My wife and I talk about that sometimes. It gets hard sometimes. So maybe she was a little upset that he had to go out in the middle of the night for whatever emergency came up. But as she thinks about it, she's like, you know, I I do have a great guy. I, I want us to take a couple minutes here And I want us to look at things that cause us to be unselfish, or things that cause us to be selfish within within a marriage or within a relationship. And and I want to look at things that are going to be things just within the relationship itself. And I want to look at some things that that are selfishness within the bedroom too. And the reason I want to do that is because I believe that Scripture is is open about those things. And, and I, this is kind of a disclaimer right here. I <clears throat> one of the things that I always try to do, do 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 here with you guys is be real. And as I looked at this text this week, I struggled and I said, "Okay, do we want to talk about selfishness within the bedroom?" And I said, well, I don't want to be crude. I don't want to be crass. I don't want to offend. And then I I read some other passages. I prayed and I was like, wait a minute. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to look at. God talks about those things. You know, God is wide open about that. And and if God has called me to to speak his word and to lead his people, then, then I have to for the sake of offending, and I, my purpose is never to do that unless it's for the sake of the gospel, but I need to be open and honest with what is in Scripture. Is that is that fair? And, and so, real quick, we're going to look at some ten things here. And, and the first one, the first thing that can cause selfishness within a marriage, and take, take note of these if you want. I would encourage you to, because these are great things to discuss later with, with, uh, with your spouse, or, or if you're dating with and maybe uh, somebody you're dating, or these are great things if you're single and not dating currently. These are great things for you to think through yourself and say, do these affect me now? Because I promise if they affect you now, they will affect your relationship later. 
So the first one is simply abuse. The first one simply abuse. If uh, if you've been abused in the past, and I'm talking about sexually uh, abuse, I'm talking about mental abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, all of those things, okay? Uh, and let me back up a minute. Do you realize in our culture that they say estimated about a third of people are sexually abused? It's as high as a third. So, so these things are real. I sit here today and, and I would guess that, and I don't know any details of anybody, but I would guess that some of this is true in this room today. Okay? These things affect relationships. Let me say two things here. One, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. What I pray happens to people that have had to go through those type of experiences, whatever kind of abuse they are, I pray that that God would bring healing and the kind of healing that makes that individual stand up and say one day to a group of people, this is my story. As hard as that is to do, that they would say, this is my story. And the reason I pray for that is because that story can change somebody else's life. I think if we're more honest about some of the things that we have happened to us in our lifetimes, I think we can eradicate those kind of issues in our life, in our culture. Because we say, you know what, I am not taking a stand for that anymore. Does that make sense? So abuse is a huge thing. Let me read this. I wanted to, to group this in here as well. Because I believe that pornography is abuse of some sort. Let, listen to these stats. It says, uh, these are stats that I got on pornography. It says $60 billion a year worldwide is spent on porn. $60 billion. $12 billion of those dollars are spent here in the U.S. $12 billion. That is more than what, that is more than the money that is spent on pro football, basketball, and baseball combined. That's more than we spend on foreign aid as a country a year. More than 200 porn films are made every week. That is more than one an hour. 12% of websites are porn sites. 25% of search engine requests are for porn. Over 40% of internet users view porn. 20% of men at work admit to it. I can't imagine those that don't admit and this isn't just a man thing. It says 13% of women at work admit to using it at work. Every second, $3,000 is spent on porn in the U.S. Every second. So what does that calculate the time that I'm done up here? How much money is spent? 28,000 viewers every second. What does, yeah, what does this say about getting the gospel out? There's 28,000 viewers. Did you know that we posted an ad uh, Google Ads, John John did that. John came up and gave the announcements. He, he did some research on this, and he said that over 50% of those people that clicked on this ad to go to our site were looking for porn. There's ways to track those kind of things. 372 Internet users every second type words looking for more porn. The average age that view porn for the first time is 11. It's usually in, inadvertently. They're looking for something else, and it comes up at age 11. Uh, 12 to 17 year olds are the number one users of porn on the internet. 
Today, a mandate for dating in junior high, guys, junior high schoolers, a mandate for dating is that they have a picture, a naked picture of their girlfriend on their phone. I was a youth pastor for a couple of years. These things are real. 10% of adults admit to being addicted. 28% of these adults are, are women. So this isn't just a, an, a, a, a man issue. These are issues all across the board. We don't have time to go in a lot of detail about this, but this is a, an overwhelming thing within our society. And I promise you that these things, this thing destroys marriages, destroys relationships, destroys families. This is real. But let's go on. Uh, so we talked about abuse. The, the second thing is, is what I would call a covenant abuse. And what I mean by that, it's, it's, it's abuse of the marriage relationship itself. In, in the sense that, 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 do you know that a lot of, a lot of home builders now are making homes with two master suites? Have you guys heard that before? They're making home, they're building homes with two master suites. You know, so each, each spouse has their own bedroom, their own bathroom, their own closet. I look at that and it makes me wonder where has our culture gone that we are so selfish that we can't even share a bathroom and a bedroom with our spouse. You know, I, I look at, and I think the, the church is horrible for this, to be honest. This happens mostly within the church where we see an issue within a mar- mar- marriage, within a married couple, okay? And, and within that within that relationship, they they continue to be married, but they're far from being united within their marriage. You know what I mean by that? They they don't sh- <clears throat> they they sleep in different parts of the house. They interact only when they have to. That as as far as being united and, and leading a family, they're in totally different directions. United and financial decisions are totally in different directions. They put on the persona of being married, but really at the core of it. That marriage is divorced, even though in the eyes of the state, it is still a marriage. That is abusing the covenant that God has called marriage to be. You know, did you know that that, that marriage is set up to make us holy? We often enter in marriage and we say, you know, I'm getting married because I'm looking for happiness. I think we need to change that a little bit and say, you know what, I want to get married to be made more holy because I know that God is going to use this relationship to stretch me, to change me, to mold me in a good way. And I guarantee that if we look at marriage to be more holy, happiness will come as a byproduct. Because it's a way that God has designed that relationship to work. So, so there's abuse, there's covenant abuse. We could talk about days on this kind of stuff. Uh, the third one is, and this is more of a bedroom thing, I'm tired. You know, I, I don't really want to have sex right now, I'm just tired. And I understand that happens sometimes. Maybe you got to try different times. You know, again, I don't want to be crude in this, but Scripture is very plain. It says, you know what? If that that the woman's body is a man is the man's, and the man's body is the woman's in in a marriage relationship, we're going to look a little bit at that first First Corinthians if we get time to get there. I'm trying to get there, but uh, these these are these are extremely real things, And, and I understand. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out. But if that is a continual all the time. Uh, number four, 
uh, control and manipulation. You know, controlling and manipulating through sex. You know, if you do that, I'll do this. Um, what what is what is the greatest sexual thing? You know what I think it is. I think it's vacuuming the floor for my wife. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Vacuuming the floor. It's serving my wife. Does that make sense, guys? You know, it, it, it's it's taking sex and saying let's let's get it out of the bedroom and and let's look at it and say you know what. Sex is more than a physical act. It's spiritual. It's emotional. It's mental. It, 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 it's it's spiritual, and you know it. it it's those things. Uh, num- number five. You know, I I can make my spouse feel dirty by wanting sex. You know, it, it, I can make them feel dirty if they if they ask a lot, right? You know, we can say, "Oh, you're you're such a pervert." Men and women are different, extremely different. We've talked a little bit about that. Number six, guilt from past. This is so true. Guilt from past. In our culture today, is extremely difficult to be pure within, within our lives, within our relationships, before we enter into marriage. And, and a lot of people, a lot of us bring those kind of things into a relationship. And they're real. First of all, Jesus can wipe those things clean. Jesus can use those things in a powerful way. I would encourage it if that's kind of where where maybe some of us are at. You know, guilt from a past that affects my relationship now. Sit down and talk about that with your spouse. I know when I say that, some of them are like, oh, I don't know if I can talk about that. I think we can more than what we what we believe we can. And, and true intimacy can develop out of that. Because I promise none of us are perfect. And it's amazing how God can take a broken past and create a bright future. Um... Number seven, seasons of life. You know, children and sickness and injury, uh, miscarriages, a lot of different things can come in and, and interfere within a marriage relationship, right? It's easy when we start having kids within our marriages, oftentimes what happens is the kids become number one. And let me just remind us, it needs to be God, my spouse, and then my children. And when we get those things out of order, it's disastrous. It is extremely disastrous that those things are out of order. Uh, moving on quickly, uh, number eight, uh, problems outside of the bedroom. You know, there, there's a lack of respect. There, there's a, there's a, uh, a lack of serving, a, a lack of love within the relationship affect all these different things. It's unselfish beha- or selfish behavior. Number nine, boredom. I don't, I don't want to camp here. Song of Solomon talks about sex in a way that is pleasurable between a husband and a wife. I'll just there's creativity within their relationship. I'll let you take it for that. Uh, number ten, we're aware of each other's bodies. 
again, this is getting extremely personal, but we're aware of each other's bodies, you know, like, like, uh, like a women's menstrual cycle, childbearing, nursing, menopause, uh, some of those different kinds of things. Are we communicating with our spouse about those things? And I, again, I know that we sit here and we're talking about this stuff, and I know it's extremely personal, but it's extremely real. And, and, and I, again, I struggled all week, and it was like, God, do you really want me to mention some of these things? And I'm like, well, wait, God talks about these things all through Scripture. Um, and, and I believe that sexual discontent can lead to all kinds of sin. Sexual discontent within a marriage can lead to all kinds of sin. And simple communication can cut a lot of that out. Simple communication. Simple evaluation of my past and, and some of the baggage that I, I am carrying personally. You know, and just sitting down and discussing those things can cut a lot of that stuff out. Let me ask you, how many of you guys how many of you guys have been in a dark room? Stupid question, right? All of us have been in a dark room, right? What is the hardest thing about being in a dark room? What's that? Yeah, I don't know where I'm going, right? I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know what's in front of me. I don't know what's around the corner. I believe for a long time, our sexual relationship within our marriage is almost like it's in a dark room. And what I mean by that is it's the idea of we have no idea what God is saying about that. And did you know that God talks about... I don't have this up here on the, on the screen, but turn to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to blow through this real fast. 1 Corinthians 6. If you don't have time to look at it now, I'd encourage you to look at it later. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. <clears throat> I want to make sure that, that these issues of sexuality within marriage and, and these issues of relationships and dating and preparing for marriage, that, that it's not like we're walking in a dark room. We don't know what's there. We don't know what, what is, what is permissible and what is not permissible. I, I wanted to take us to this passage because the church in Corinth, I think, is very similar to the church here in the United States. The church in Corinth had all kinds of issues. And because of all their issues, Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to this church to, to, to kind of help them through some of the things that they were dealing with. They, they were in a very sexually oriented uh, culture, the, the church in Corinth, okay? And, and so Paul had a lot of times, a lot of things he had to say about sex within to to the people there and this is one of the things he says he says everything is permissible for me but not everything is beneficial so i, I want to ask us real quick three questions one on a sexual side within our marriage is it helpful for the marriage okay what is happening in the bedroom between you and your spouse is it something that is helpful within your marriage? And that's something you have to answer on your, on your own. You know, is, is let, let me go through this list. Sex within a marriage relationship is for a lot of different reasons. And scripture says that. First of all, it's for pleasure. We're seeing that in Song of Solomon. Sex is for pleasure within a marriage relationship. 
uh, Song of Solomon speaks about that. Uh, secondly, it's for, it's for children. It's to have children, right? Obviously. We see that in Genesis 1.28. The third one is, uh, it is for oneness within marriage. We see that later here in verse 16 of this passage in 1 Corinthians 6. It's for oneness within a relationship, marriage relationship. It's for knowledge. It's beco- to become better known and be known by your spouse. Okay, that's in Genesis 4.1. Uh, it is for um, protection from sin. Paul talks extremely a lot about that in chapter 7, just right next door here. Chapter 7, Paul says it, sex within your marriage is protection against other sin. And then last of all, it's for comfort. The Bible says that sex is for comfort, and it's mentioned in 2 Samuel 12.24. Sex is seen as comfort between a husband and a wife. So I ask you, what is happening within your, your marriage relationship sexually? Is it helpful for your marriage? Because Paul says here, everything is permissible. And he's talking about sex here. I'm not taking this out of context. He says, "Is everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. And then he goes on. He says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Is whatever is happening between your spouse, is it enslaving one or the other? These are real questions that Paul talked about in his day to the church of Corinth. And I believe that we need to quit walking in the dark and open these questions up and ask the same thing within our, within our marriage. He continues and he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. So the last thing is, is what is happening between you and your spouse? Is it lawful in God's eyes? And I really struggled against this, guys. And that is, I made a list of what is lawful. I'm sorry, of what, have, what is unlawful within a marriage relationship. And, and I struggle, you know, do I mention these things? Because some of them can come across brash. And that, again, is not my intent, guys. I just don't want us to be walking in darkness. And, and so if I have your permission, I would like to read these things. So that we are, so that we know, and, and again, most of these are going to be like common sense. But as I look at our society, our society is hugely confused when it comes to sexual issues. Is that is that agreed upon? Hugely confused. And so I'm just going to read through these. I'm not going to spend time. Homosexuality, swinging, prostitution, bestiality, fornication, friends with benefits, adultery, masturbating someone who is not your spouse, oral sex outside of marriage, sex outside of marriage, heavy petting outside of marriage, dry humping outside of marriage, rape, polygamy, sinful lust, pornography, phone sex with someone other than your spouse, sexual chatting online with someone other than your spouse, pedophilia, incest, and I'm going to say etc. because it's amazing what our minds can create. My heart, again, is not to be crass. But I would really feel horrible if we walked out of this room and didn't have a clear picture of what a healthy sexual relationship looks like within our marriage. Because I see these things break down all the time. You'd be amazed at the stories I see, the stories I hear, I should say, the stories I hear, the people that I try to help, and, and, and the issues that have come up within their lives that are these things that we're talking about. 
and really to get down to the heart of it, guys, I would say the problem is selfishness. Selfishness. We're all selfish. Extremely selfish. And I, I've got to be wrapping up here, but I want us to take a look at one more passage. It's in uh, Philippians 2. Philippians 2. The answer to selfishness, the answer to all these things that we just talked about, the answer to healing from these pains that we bring from our past, real things, the answer, guys, is Jesus Christ. And this isn't like one of those typical sermons like, hey, I'm going to give you five points to a healthy marriage and have a nice day. And this isn't like, oh, hey, we talk about marriage. I better tack Jesus in somewhere. You know, it is church, right? We better tack Jesus on. I bring this up at the end, guys, because it's the truth. The cure for selfishness is Jesus Christ. Take a look. Philippians 2, verse 5. It says your attitude should be that, should be the same as that of Jesus Christ who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As the band comes up to close us out, I just want to ask us a couple questions. You know, we've kind of had homework, you know, throughout the series. It's been good homework. I trust that it's helping you within your marriage. For those of you guys that are single and dating, it's helping you within your dating relationship. Those of you guys that are looking to be married, which uh, stats say it's over 90% of people will be married one day if they're not currently. I trust that these things are helping. But I'm not ignorant to sit here and say that every marriage is healthy because it's not. And the root of those issues a lot of times is selfishness. And Jesus was the perfect example of what it means to serve. And and Jesus served us guys by giving his life to restore a relationship that was broken between us and the God of the universe. To restore a relationship that was broken and lost. And that relationship, I promise you, because I know from experience, that relationship affects every other relationship that you have. You know, selfish people make horrible spouses. They make horrible friends. They make horrible sons and daughters, horrible parents. You know, their life is a tragedy. And Jesus Christ changes all that. He deals with past pain. He deals with past hurt. So my question, two questions, really that I want you to think about this week, pray about, talk to your spouse about, talk to 
if you're <clears throat> if you're dating, ask these questions as well. How do we make Jesus a priority within our relationship? How do we make Jesus a priority within our relationship? Do we pray together? Do we go to church together? And, and not just come to church, but do we serve together? Do we read scripture together? Do we challenge one another? Do we ask how they're doing in their walk with Christ? And the second question I would encourage you to ask is, what is in the way of you making a huge spiritual breakthrough within your life? What is it that is holding you back from breaking through and God taking complete control of your life? I don't know what those things are. But I guarantee that if you pray, my God answers. If you pray, God, what is it that is in the way between you and I? God will answer that prayer. Whether you're, wherever you're at on that journey, maybe you're just trying to figure out who is Jesus right now. And if that's the case, I would, I would encourage you to, you know, come talk to me. I'd love to help you understand that. I, I, I'd give you some passages to look at. Maybe you're at the place where you know you've made a decision to follow Christ, but you're like, man, there's something in the way here. What is in the way from you making a spiritual breakthrough? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity. We can come together today and just be challenged through your word. Lord, I know that today was extremely, extremely hard, extremely difficult to talk about. But Jesus, I believe that it's something necessary to talk about. Jesus, I thank you that you were the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And Jesus, I thank you that you are the perfect answer for selfishness. So Jesus, eradicate the selfishness out of my life. Help me to know you more, to pursue you more with my life. And Jesus, I pray that you would do the same for those in this room that are calling out to you, Lord. And Lord, maybe some in this room have never called out to you, Lord. I pray that you would bring them to a place where they say, you know, I, I don't even know who, all that you are, God, but I, I need you in my life. So Jesus, please help us to be the people you've called us to be, be the spouses you've called us to be. And it's in your precious name, Lord. Amen.